glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Mark 10, verse 17. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good Master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest. That's the title of our message. One thing thou lackest. Go thy way, so whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. He was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked round about, and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words, but Jesus answereth again, and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. They were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus, looking upon them, saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. They were astonished because Jesus looked at this young man and said, He is not going to enter into the kingdom. That's Christ's conclusion. I believe the disciples had already concluded, If that guy's not going to heaven, who is? That's why they were astonished. Who then can... Who then can be saved? If a guy like this can't be saved, who can be? If the rich who have obtained their riches, and especially this man, it would seem through honest means, who then can be saved? I believe, uh, I believe, especially in our world where there's such familiarity with the things of God as there was in the world that Jesus walked in when he was on earth, there was a familiarity with Scripture, there was a familiarity with truth, Yet there was a misuse of truth, and when Jesus came, he being the living word, gave judgment as to what his words meant. He acts, and he does the same thing today by the Holy Spirit. He doesn't just say something, he gives us the interpretation of that so that we can have a clear comprehension of what constitutes salvation. So that the individual who has eternal life can know that they have eternal life. I've been studying 1 John and going through that, God willing, beginning in the book of 1 John on Thursday nights. I would strongly encourage you, to come and hear what God has to say through the books of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John if you desire to grow in your faith in Jesus Christ and be uh, solidified in that. The people John was writing to were being assaulted by Gnostics who put forward that there is a deep philosophy, a deep hidden truth that's not revealed in Scripture, but you have to have a, a, a certain peculiar relationship with God and in a mind that can comprehend things to tap into true knowledge. And by doing that, they were causing the believers that John wrote to to doubt their salvation. You're not part of our elite club. And I would just say this, Christ came and he gives light. He gives clarity. He gives certainty. The rich young ruler said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus told him in plain terms and brought him to a point of decision. Now, I believe this morning you will not encounter Jesus Christ without him bringing you to a point of decision. He is the great divider. We preached last Sunday morning and preached on what Jesus said he did not come to do. 
See, I came not to bring peace on earth, but a sword. Meaning, he says such things that you either have to agree with him or deny him. You either have to believe him or call him a liar. You either have to come and follow him or turn and walk away. But he will not leave middle ground. May I say this? I dare say there's numbers of people in this pew that Jesus Christ, the living Son of God, has brought you to that point. I've said to some who love you in this church, the church is at a crossroads. We've kind of been there for some time. And by that I mean there are certain people in the church that have come to a crossroads of life where it's a decision of, am I going to obey God or am I going to conform to the world? Am I going to receive salvation or am I going to reject it? Am I going to let the Lord sanctify me and make me useful for His service? Or am I going to go my own way? And what has brought us to that point is Christ. He brings every individual He encounters, so far as I can tell in Scripture, to a point of decision. Even Pilate in his indifference was brought to a point of decision. When Jesus, Pilate says, what is truth? After Jesus said to him, for this cause am I come into the world that I might bear witness of the truth. And Pilate's answer, what is truth? You know what? Jesus brought him to a point of decision. You know what Pilate decided? I'll stay in the middle ground acting like there is no, no way to know the truth. The word of God brings us to a point of decision. So it was for this man. The sadness of this story is that he made the wrong decision. That's the sorrow of it, is that the man was brought to a point of decision. He made the wrong decision, and the Lord let him. There's been great debate among Christian theologians for years over the will of man. There ought not be. I understand why there is, because of different scriptures that might seem to be in conflict. But God does not conflict with himself, and God has left man's will intact. He has enabled his will by his word that we are enabled to choose. Here's a man, and we'll see it in a moment, that he was a wealthy man, but he wasn't wealthy enough. He had a lot of things in his favor, but not enough to get him in the good favor of God. He comes to Jesus and recognizes, I don't have eternal life. I obviously have physical life, and I'm living a pretty good one at that, but I want the ultimate rich. I want the ultimate treasure. I want eternal life. I want to know I'm going to live forever. Now, we're not talking about drinking some special water and this body going on. We're talking about the soul living forever with God. After we've passed through this scene on earth, we continue living. You can know that. You have eternal life. I wonder sometimes if we don't emphasize that concept enough. Eternal life is spoken of repeatedly in the Scripture. We know this life's not eternal, do we not? Every day reminds us of that. Aches and pains and loss of hair reminds us this life is not eternal. So we know he's not talking about this life. But I read this week uh, in Revelation where Jesus is speaking to one of his churches. He said, be faithful unto death and I will give thee a crown. How do you give dead people a crown? You don't. You give living people a crown. He's saying, you're alive forever and you'll be with me when you leave earth. And my point is this. The young man wanted something good. He wanted something that everybody ought to want. Eternal life. To know that instead of eternal damnation, instead of eternal condemnation, instead of eternal separation from God... By the way, death is not unconsciousness. Death is separation. We think of death as unconsciousness because when someone dies, they look to be unconscious. Am I correct? We think of death from our perspective, but that's not the perspective of the dead. They're not unconscious. The dead and outside of Christ are in torment, according to the Bible. Those in Christ are in the presence of God. And so I just say all that to say the man wanted something good, He wanted eternal life, but he didn't have it. So let's consider these three things. First of all, his possessions. What did the man have? We must note what he had because I want to, by the grace of God, break down false concepts of what it means to be a Christian. There are false ideologies about what it means to be saved, what it means to be righteous. Make no mistake... 
Faith without works is dead, being alone, but works does not constitute a living faith. Please hear me. You have true faith, you'll demonstrate works, but works are not a means of obtaining righteousness ever. In God's economy, you cannot obtain righteousness by what you do. You obtain righteousness by who you trust. And it is faith in Jesus Christ. And so then, this man had the trappings of Christianity without Christ. He had the outward trappings of Christianity, what we would think of as a Christian today, but he was lost. He was unsaved and he was dead in sin. Uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 17 says, And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? It's hard to give a good answer to a wrong question. Is it not? What do I do to inherit eternal life? If I were the answer, I would say, you don't. You don't work for it, man. But that was where the man's mind was. I'm a worker. Obviously, he was. He's a wealthy man. And it would seem an honestly wealthy man. What must I do to inherit eternal life? I want to earn my spot with God. What can I do to do that? Now, Jesus, in his infinite wisdom, is the ultimate soul winner. He knew how to answer him. And so, in verse 18, and Jesus said, Why callest thou me good? How many of you, that's the answer you would have given? I know why he called Jesus good, because he is good. (laughs) But Jesus looked right through his question into his heart. Why callest thou me good? There's none good but one. That is God. He said, let's go back to a principle. Something Solomon had written in Ecclesiastes, "Not not a just man on earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Is that not what Jesus is operating on? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so Jesus being God, yes, but also being man, The man comes and says, good master. He puts an adjective on there that Jesus wants to know a little bit more about. Why callest thou me good? There's none good but one, that is God. And you know what he's saying to him, and we've covered this before, you are either saying that you can become as good as God or that I am God. Which is it? Did you call me good because you think I'm God or did you call me good because you think you can be as good as God? Do you think you can ascend to the holiness of God through deeds? Or do you think that God has descended through his mercy? May I say this? Your eternity hangs on what you think of Jesus Christ. He is either a good man or he is the God man. If he's a good man, then religious steps can get you to his goodness. What you do can make you as good as God. If he's the God man, you cannot get to heaven without him. That's the Bible way. He, Jesus, saith unto Thomas in John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So as we consider this man's possessions, verses 17 through 21, verse 19 says this, uh, verse 18, Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and mother. How many of you know that Jesus did not quote all Ten Commandments? He handpicks some of the Ten Commandments and he kind of uh, says some other things. You read the other passages, uh, he gives some other commandments in there. So we're getting a sampling of what Jesus says. In, in short, what he's saying is keep the commandments. Meaning, you, you be good according to God's standard and you're good. So he gives him, let's just, let's just look at the sample he gives. Do not commit adultery. I'm sure the young man heard this and thought, good, I got that one. Now, there's some in this room, your goose is cooked. I've never committed adultery. If you've looked on a woman lust after you have, some may have gone beyond and committed the act. Your goose is cooked on commandment number one right there, but some can say, 
I'm still on board for eternal life. (laughs) Do not kill. I'm thinking most of us are on board there. I'm hopeful. Unless we take God's standard. He said, if I hate my brother without a cause, I'm guilty of murder already in my heart. Well, let's move on. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Aren't those the two big ones? I mean, aren't those supposedly the two cardinal sins that will get you out of heaven? No, those are big ones. We know that people shouldn't and often are too afraid to do so because of the consequences, not because of how horrid they think the sin is. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Don't rip off somebody else. Honor thy father and mother. And he answered him and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. From early on in life, Master, I have been... Now, I I don't know. I guess what he's trying to say is from the time I knew that they were right, I've been doing it. So the sampling of commandments he gave, in his own conscience, he checked himself off and said, I've done that. Now, there's a great question as to whether or not his answer was true, but in his own mind it was. And no one around him checked him on it. No one around this ruler said, No, 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 I heard the way you talked to your mother when you were a teenager. No! I mean, he had it together. And the Bible tells us by the end of the passage, the man was a man of great wealth. The Bible said he had great possessions, verse 22. So as we look at his possessions, number one, he obviously had material goods. He had a lot of material goods because of what verse 22 says. And he was sad at that saying and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. This, this text tells us a lot about this man. He had great material possessions. He, many of them. You know what? People today are admired for the amount of wealth they accumulate. Whether it's right, it's wrong that they should be. I wouldn't say whether it's right or wrong. It's wrong, but when someone can accumulate nice things or an abundance of things, we think they must be doing something right. No, that's not true, but that's the way we think. So he had material possessions. He had a good mind. I mean, I would agree this, is, this guy's a pretty sharp tack. Did Jesus have to educate him on what the law said, or did he know? He knew. He had a good mind. He had a good memory. He knew thou shalt not commit adultery. He knew thou shalt not steal. He, he said, look, I, I've already, I know those. I know those, and I have been observing those. I have been honoring those commandments with my life as since I was a youth. That tells me something else. He had, he had good morals. If the man told the truth, at least in his outward form, if he treated his parents right and he wasn't a thief and he's not ripping people off in business dealings, uh, he's fulfilling his responsibilities, that's the idea of defrauding not. If that's actually what he's doing, he's living a clean life, he's not committing adultery, being faithful to his marriage, all these things, hey, he's a good guy. There's not a person in here that ran a company who wouldn't want this guy to work for you or even to run the company for you. I can't think of why we would not admire this man. He's got money, he's got a good mind, he's got good morals, he's got good manners. He says, good master. The Bible says he comes and he kneels to him. We'll speak more about that in just a moment. His manner is good. He conducts himself well. He treats those that are superior to him with respect. Good master, he calls him. I look at this and I say, well, I think, I think there's people in this room might look and say, well, he had to be a Christian. He had to be. Well, why do you say that? Well, because... You know, I noticed the way he looked. I mean, he's well-dressed, well-taken care of, good-mannered guy, good morals. I mean, good, good young man, treats his parents right and even speaks reverently of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he knew the law. I mean, knows the Bible. I mean, knows the Bible inside and out. He knew the Scripture. He's got a good mind, a good memory, good money, good manners, good morals. And I'll tell you something else. He had, he had God's mercy on him. Listen to this in verse uh, 21. Then Jesus beholding him, what's it say? Loved him. 
loved him. Contrary to some, what some teach, and I'm just going to take a slice at this false doctrine, contrary to what some teach that God only loves a select few, God loves those even that reject him. God so loved the world. And here's a man who knew and had the love of God on his life but went away lost. Can God love you and you still perish and go to hell? Yes. There are those sadly teaching today a universal type gospel that God loves everyone, therefore everyone is in the family of God. This text blows that away. I can say to you on the authority of God's word this morning, God loves you, but that doesn't mean you're saved. God loves you so much that he gave his most precious possession to pay for your sins. He gave his only begotten son. And that only begotten son gave himself. He gave what only thing he could. He laid his life down in love for the Father and in love for us, his enemies, that our sins might be forgiven. But that love alone is not enough because with the love of Jesus, Jesus still said one thing thou lackest. You can have good morals and you can have good material possessions and you can have a good mind and you can have good manner and you can be a mature individual and still be on your way to hell. We need to understand this this morning. Not only does the unsaved person need to understand it, the person who cares about souls needs to understand it. We sometimes shortcut and think certainly that person's a Christian because of their morals, because of their mind, because of their mannerism, because of their material possessions, and because it's evident that God loves them. But that's not enough. If it were, Jesus would have said, you're in. I'm trying to tell you he had all of these things, but he didn't have eternal life. He had all these things going for him in this life, but he did not have eternal life. We see his possessions. Number two, we see his pursuit. In verse 17, it says of Jesus, and when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running. The culture today would call this man a seeker. He comes running. He doesn't have to be. No one had to come to him like someone did to uh, Nathaniel and say, hey, you need to come and see Jesus. And Nathaniel, being a skeptic, said, ah, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Come and see. And so, okay, reluctantly he goes along skeptical of Jesus. And when Jesus says... Oh, behold, a man in whom is no guile. How do you know me? Before I saw you sitting under the fig tree. And Nathaniel is humbled by the, the omniscience of God. And he says, thou art the Christ. <laughs> yeah, someone had to drag Nathaniel to Christ. Someone had to bring uh, Andrew or Simon Peter to Christ. But this man, he comes running. He is seeking eternal life. May I say this? Pursuit of eternal life doesn't mean you have it. Interest in eternal life doesn't mean you possess it. You with me this morning? I'm interested in spiritual things. May I say this man was obviously a religious man. He is a ruler. That means he is a religious leader in his community. He's a ruler in in his religious community. A well-respected man of, of, of high standing in the community. But a man that God did not know. Someone says, I know God. The question is, does God know you? When he opens the book of life, has your name been recorded because you received eternal life as a gift from his son? That is what matters this morning. It doesn't matter what you know about God, how much you can act like God, how familiar you are with God. Does God know you? Does he say, that's my child? The Bible says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. 
and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Here's a man who had money, material possessions, if you would, a good mind, good manners, good morals. May I say this? You may have all those things. That doesn't mean you're without eternal life. These are the kind of things we think if someone has, they must be saved. Hey, don't feel bad. The disciples then thought the same way. They looked on the outward appearance and said, surely a man that's saved. And if he can't get saved, if God can't save good people, who can he? He can save bad ones. You hear me? You know why God can save ungodly people this morning? Because they know they're bad. You know why God has a hard time saving moral people this morning? Because they don't think they're bad. They think they're good enough in their righteous conduct that that's enough. I'm not belittling or preaching against righteous conduct. You know me better than that. I'm saying if your confidence is in your conduct, that's not enough. You may be a good steward of finances. That's not enough. You may be familiar with the house of God. That's not enough. You may have a good mind that retains Scripture. That's not enough. This man had all of that, but he still lacked one thing. That tells us then I want to quickly hit his pursuit. He had a fervency. He runs to Jesus. He showed reverence. He didn't come cursing at the, the Savior like the gathering did. No, he came showing respect. The Bible says, and there came one running, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? He runs, he shows reverence, he makes a good request. Uh, there is recognition of who Jesus is. He calls him master, at least at some level. But he's given a requirement, and his response to that is, I've done it. Keep the law. I've done it. Some would say, and I want to be careful with this. If you're going to be saved, you've got to repent and believe and pray. And those things are true. But someone may say, I've done that. I got baptized. That's not salvation. I went through a physical action that, no. Salvation is a matter of right here. The heart. Have you agreed with God that outside of the blood of His Son, you're a condemned sinner worthy of judgment? That's repentance. Have you agreed with God that the only hope for you is His Son, Jesus Christ, and believe that He's living enough to call on Him for salvation? That's right here. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with a heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with a mouth confession is made unto salvation. With what man believeth unto righteousness? With the heart. It's with the heart that I believe God. Say, so you know what? What He said is true. It's not a fairy tale. It's not... It's, I, I don't like hearing this. Well, even if the Bible wasn't true, following it would give you a good life. I hate hearing that. There's no if it's not true. That's expressing some level of, well, you know, I really believe it is, but if it's not, that's not good. The fact is, it's true, friend. And if it's not true, then living it won't be a good thing. It's never good to live according to a lie. Amen? And so then... Here this man, we see his pursuit in that he runs to Christ, he reverences Him, he asks the right question, kind of, sort of, not really. (laughs) If we were just listening with our physical ears, we'd say, wow, this guy's going to get saved. He wants eternal life. He's come to the right person to get it. He came to Jesus, did he not? He did. But then I want you to see finally his poverty. We've seen his possessions. Can you be rich and poor at the same time? Yes, if you're lacking something that you must have, you're poor. If you're lacking something that you must have, you're poor. If I have $10 million in the bank, but I can't keep oxygen in my lungs, I'm poor. Truth? 
if you have $10 million in the bank and you cannot secure your standing at the throne of God the moment you pass out of this life and into his presence, you're poor. You see, eternal life is the true riches. That's the true riches. And this man lacked one thing. Verse 21, he says, Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest. Now, he's going to give him a bunch of stuff, but Jesus says it's just one thing. So we must pay close attention. Go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. Verse 22, And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. You've got to be very careful in how you process this text because there's many other texts of Scripture that put this in context. Nowhere else was anyone told to sell what they have and give to the poor so that they might have eternal life. Someone would say, Jesus is saying how you get to heaven is you sell everything you have and give it to the poor? No. The next chapter, he would, he would win a rich man to himself. In Luke 19, a man named Zacchaeus, he didn't tell him to sell anything. But Zacchaeus voluntarily, because of his faith in Christ, said, if I've taken anything by false accusation, I restore fourfold. Half of what I give, I give to the poor. He didn't get, Zacchaeus didn't sell at all. But Jesus said, this day is salvation come to this house. So it's very clear between Luke 18 and Luke 19, the, uh, where it's found in Luke, that it, Jesus' requirement to go to heaven is not selling what you have and giving to the poor. What the context is, is this man had another God. What was his God? Money. In Matthew 6, Jesus said, you cannot serve God and mammon. May I say this? You'll hear this as a theme in 2021. You and I cannot serve God and anything. We can't serve God and, and fill in the blank. Joshua said, choose you this day whom ye will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Prior to that, he had said, either serve the gods on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites and the Canaanites, or serve Jehovah God, serve God, I'm paraphrasing, as you choose who you're going to serve, but me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. What he's saying is you can't serve both. 1 John 2, 15 and 16 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of this world, and the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But whosoever doeth the will of the Father, the will of God abideth forever. What Jesus is saying in 1 John is this, chapter 2, you cannot love the world and God. It's either you love God or the world, not God and the world. Colossians 3, verse 4, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Not set your affection more on things above. I told you, Christ brings us to a point of decision. It's either He or nothing. It's either he or the world, he or possessions, he or pleasure, but you cannot serve both. And for this man, his God was money. His God was his possessions. He had worldly things that Jesus said, he just let him know up front. Not everybody got this confrontation so quickly, but this man did because he had to repent of his idolatry before he could come to Christ. Christ knew, you cannot love money in me. I will, I will cost you possessions, so let's just deal with this right now. Coming to me, the one thing you lack, Jesus Christ, is going to cost you what you love. Now, I'm going to tell you, please listen to me this morning. Please hear me this morning. If you're a Christian, the world has sold us a false gospel that says you can take Jesus with you wherever you go and help Him. He'll help you serve what you really love. 
You can make take Jesus into the career so that you can have the money and the houses and the things you've dreamed of. You can take Jesus into your sensual lifestyle and He'll help you by forgiving you those things. Hey, sometimes Christ brings us to a point of decision. He did not leave the gathering living in the tombs and worshiping Jesus. He called Him out of the tombs, put clothes on Him, sat Him down, changed His life. And we want a Jesus that we take everywhere we go. And He says, if you're going to come to Me, you'll go where I go. You hear me this morning? And this man was brought to a point of confrontation and a point of decision. Jesus said, if you're going to have eternal life, it's going to cost you things in this life. Now, don't misunderstand me. You and I are not saved by giving something up. That's not what's being taught here. Well, if you give up, give up, give up. But it does require repentance. And idolatry is sin. Would you agree? How many of us agree this man did not think he was a sinner? He committed the chiefest of all sins. I dare say that sin is most likely present in this room this morning. Something other than Jesus Christ was on the throne of this man's heart. Ask the Spirit of God, even at this moment, to say, Lord, is that true with me? Now, if Jesus has already saved you, should He not continue on the throne of your heart. And if he hasn't, is he not worthy? Is he not? Unless the Bible's a lie, and it's not. This morning, the man was brought to a point of decision where Jesus said, you're going to have to choose which God you're going to serve. You can serve your possessions, and that won't give you eternal life. Or you can sell those and do something useful with them. Give them to the poor. They need them. You don't. Take up the cross, meaning... Christ is going to cost him something. Come follow me. What does the man do? He makes his decision, does he not? The Bible says he went away grieved, verse 22, and he was sad at that saying. He was sad at that saying. May I say this? As I said, Christ will bring every person to a point of decision. Not all were brought so immediately. I think of Peter. Peter was brought to a point of decision on the seashore of Galilee when Jesus said... Peter, this is the death. You're going to die for my cause. Now come follow me. Peter says, well, what about John? Jesus said, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. And what did Peter do? Knowing what Christ would cost him, what did he do? He followed him anyway. May I say, every person in this room is going to have to come to a point where you decide, is Jesus really who he says he is? And what is he worth to me? Is he, is, is, is he God or is he not? Christ does not call us into a pacified idolatry. He calls us out of idolatry. He does not call us into a tolerated fornication. He calls us out of fornication. He does not call us out of a tolerated covetousness or a watered-down covetousness. God said don't covet. Christ calls us out of sin, into righteousness, out of darkness, into light. Amen? Bible. Many know up front, that's what he'll cost me. I've heard of multiple accounts of people I've heard of being confronted with the gospel and putting their faith in Christ, and they say, I just can't do it. One man told me, a relative of mine, by blood. I witnessed to him on the phone when I was 17 or 18 years of age. I love him, dear dear loved one. I've told you this story before, and I talked to him. I said, you know the gospel. I do. Do you believe that it's true? I do. Do you believe if you called on Christ, He would save you? I do. Then why don't you? I like my beer, Nevin, and I know he doesn't. 
I know he don't want me drinking and partying, but I'm having a good time. And just to be honest with you, I'm not going to be a hypocrite and pray some prayer knowing that I don't want the one I'm praying to. That was basically what he said to me. He referenced his alcohol, referenced his party life, and that's why today you don't have to worry about that. Today we have a gospel that says Christ will cost you nothing. You live however you want and haul him around with you and use him as your little card. Jesus called this man to a point of decision to say, you're in idolatry. You know why he said, sell what you have, give to the poor and come follow me? That was not so much the recipe of his salvation, but that repentance is. This man did not agree with God that he needed a savior. You understand that? He did not think he was immoral. He did not think that he was in iniquity. He did not think of himself as wicked as the sinners down in the red light district. But in Jesus' eyes, he was as wicked as the rest. Because idolatry is the chiefest of sins. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. Can class, we have an, can we have a judgment this morning? Did this man love God? He did not. He loved money. And Jesus told him, go sell what you have, give to the poor, and come follow me to reveal. He used the law to reveal that this man was what? A sinner, short of God's glory. One thing thou lackest. I want you to imagine this morning a football player. You've heard this illustration, but I'm going to use it again because it's so appropriate. you got a football player, and he's got the ball. He catches it on the one-yard line. His own one-yard line, he's running toward the opposing end. And he comes and he falls short of the touchdown. The nose of the football is one inch short of end zone line. One inch! And anybody that's watched football watches the referee and he goes, what's that mean? No touchdown. This means touchdown. This means... And the athlete jumps up and shakes his fist at the referee and says, did you see how I ran that ball? I did. You're a great runner. Did you see how close I got? I did. You're a great athlete. Did you see how many tackles I evaded on my way? Oh, I did. Did you see the leap I made over the tight end up there as he was trying to come around, not even doing what he's supposed to do, tackle me? Did you see that? I saw it. My own teammates almost tripped me up and I got past them. Did you see how well I ran that 99 yards plus? 99 yards, 2 feet and 11 inches I ran, referee. And you're going to tell me I don't deserve a touchdown and any referee worth his salt is going to say, that's exactly what I'm telling you. Sit down. There are people who say, have you seen how well I've lived my life? Have you seen the obstacles I've overcome? Have you seen how I've treated my teammates? Have you seen how I've overcome the enemy? But you don't have Jesus Christ. One thing they like. The only way to receive Jesus Christ is to receive His Word. See, Jesus used His Word to reveal this man's sinful state. Got a question. Did the man leave thinking he was an idolater or no? It seems that he didn't get the message. You know why? Because he preferred earthly things over the Son of God. That can be pleasure. It can be fame. It can be comfort in this life. It can be all the things that money will buy. But the fact is, we must make a decision about, will I receive Jesus Christ? Well, what will he cost me? Well, the question is, is he worth it? Is he worthy of my trust? Is he worthy of my faith? John 1, 11, 12, John 1, 12, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Based on this scripture, did this young man receive the Lord Jesus? 
He rejected him. Jesus said, here's my condition. And instead of the man saying, oh my, I just called him good. He told me what to do and I disobeyed. Now, if he's good and he's the master, what should we do? Obey him, right? But instead, he disobeyed. Got a question. When the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached, what does it say about everyone? That everyone is a sinner who must have a savior. There are people who reject the gospel over that point alone. I cannot accept that I am such a bad person that I deserve to be cast out of God's presence. I just can't. I can't accept that. Because they realize believing that, believing that's going to cost them something. They're going to have to change their values. Christ is going to change them. Got a question. If this man accepted Christ, would Christ change him? Oh, my, drastically. And so then Christ, I see his poverty. He diagnosed him. You're an idolater. Instead of accepting the indictment that was given through the word of the Lord Jesus Christ, he rejected it, and he was given a directive, sell what you have, give to the poor, come follow me. But because the man was an idolater, he clung to his sin, and he rejected the Savior. May I just say, I think we complicate why men reject the gospel. I I really do. Men reject the gospel because of sin. They have pleasure in unrighteousness, is what 2 Timothy 3 says. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Now, I understand you won't learn to love God until you first received His love for you. I don't want to make any confusion this morning. I want to be very clear. What Jesus did is revealed. The reason you don't have eternal life is you don't see your need for a Savior. He revealed His... He did two things. He revealed the man's sin and He revealed who the Savior was. Did He not? You say what you have. That's His idolatry. You come follow Me. I'm the Savior. The man disobeyed. Will men perish for disobeying the gospel? When the gospel says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, put your faith in Him and Him alone, and men say, you know, I just can't accept that. This is what 2 Thessalonians 1.8 says, In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not, that's the terminology, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 4, 17 says, For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God, and if it first begin at us, what shall be the, uh, shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? Now, is the gospel good news? It is, but it's like this. It's like this. You, you are out on Lake Pondere, and a windstorm comes and capsizes your boat, and you're out there clinging to your boat, and you're getting hypothermia, And someone comes along and says, Hey, over here, we got a ship. We're going to throw you a life-saving device. We're going to send a swimmer in, and he's going to grab that device and come get you. All you need to do is let him let loose of your boat and let him grab you. And in your mind, think, if I let loose this boat, I'm going to sink like a rock and die. So you just let go of the boat. He can't bring you and the boat, so you got to let go of the boat so he can save you. And you're clinging to that boat and your knuckles are white by clinging so hard. And you say, no, my salvation's in this boat while you're freezing to death in the frigid waters. And the swimmer comes out and he's got the lifesaver. He'll do all the saving. He'll do it all. But he says to you, says, he says, I'm here to rescue you. And the man says, I, do you want to be rescued? I do. You want to die in these frigid waters? I don't. Well, then you're going to have to let go of your boat. He says, I won't. Can you save it? I mean, you could thump him on the head and knock him out and drag him in. But that's not God's way. 
You're not going to thump you on the head and drag you in. Whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. You know, there are people that are clinging to their riches, clinging to their religion, clinging, clinging to tradition, clinging to a life of sensual pleasure. And Christ says, you just put your trust in me and I'll rescue you. If you disobey the command of the rescuer, if he says, let go and let me, and you disobey him. Got the news. Good question. Is the rescuer there saying, I've got good news. I'm here to rescue. Is that good news? But if you won't obey it, what's going to happen? You're going to die. Because no rescuer can drag you in against your will. I'm going to be honest with you. That's going to be a struggle. He's going to have to knock you out to get you in. Here's the fact of the matter. We are in frigid waters of sin that are killing us, taking us to a devil's hell. The good news says Jesus died. He shed his blood. He suffered for your sins. And here's the good news. He lives. He lives. He lives. I cannot... I am... I am I am stirred up inside about the fact that Christ is living. Because then I can with authority tell anyone, if you'll trust in him, he'll save you from the dark waters of sin. But if you won't obey that, you'll perish. The rich young ruler went away. Instead of going to sell his goods, the Bible says he went away grieved. How many of you have ever seen somebody do this with the gospel? You bring them to the point of saying, You've got to acknowledge you cannot save yourself because you're a sinner. Isn't that what Jesus pointed out? There's no good thing you can do, ruler, because you're not good. You're an idolater. Did he receive the words of Christ or reject them? His grief at the word of God revealed his attitude toward Jesus Christ. May I say this? When you hear the gospel preached, you say, that grieves me. Not an indictment on the gospel. May I say this? There's numbers of people sitting in this room this morning. There was a day when you heard the gospel and you said, you know what? If he's willing to save me, I'm willing to let him. That's when he saves you, by the way. When your will coincides with God's will. How many people is God willing to save, according to his word? All. But he only saves those that are willing to let him. On this day, here was a ruler. He only lacked one thing, and that was Jesus Christ. But he wouldn't come to Christ because he wouldn't acknowledge he needed him. He felt he needed earthly goods more than the Savior. And he rejected the Savior and remained an idolater. And to our knowledge, he very well could be the man in Luke 16 who was a rich man and in hell he lifted up his eyes being in torment. I'm not saying he's the same. Could be. How about you this morning? Have you come to the point where God through his word has convinced you? You with Paul are chiefest of sinners. This man thought he was cheapest of the righteous and had no idea he was breaking the great commandment. But you know, who, you know who revealed that he was a lawbreaker? God did. God's word sheds light on us. The word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Today, if you're here and you're a sinner that has not yet come to Christ for salvation, he says to you, you can do no good thing because you're not good. And it takes Christ to make you good. Are we willing to believe him? Romans 3.12 says there's none that doeth good. Not one. Now that verse is either truth or a lie. And the Bible says in Acts 4.12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Friend, this morning, only Jesus Christ can make you righteous. There's no amount of morals or material goods or mannerism. That's all not enough. 
It takes Christ to do the saving. It's, the question was wrong. What good things shall I do? What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Put your faith in Christ. <laughs> Amen? Put your faith in Christ. Mm-hmm.